The Covenant Podcast exists to discuss doctrine, theology, and the biblical worldview from a covenantal Baptist perspective. We pray that this resource will be edifying to you and glorifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Covenant Podcast today. We have an exciting announcement to make before we get into the content of what we're going to be recording. We have the privilege of introducing our new co-host, the excellent Jimmy Johnson, to the podcast today. Welcome to your first time co-hosting, Brother Jimmy Johnson. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Today we're going to be talking about uh, Charles Spurgeon's journey to the Metropolitan Tabernacle. So if we will, let's just go ahead and jump right in. Uh, a few weeks ago, we did a podcast episode on the early ministry of Charles Spurgeon. So just a quick recap on Spurgeon's early ministry. Spurgeon was 17 years old whenever he began his pastorate at Water Beach Chapel. And in his pastorate at Water Beach Chapel, uh, he had a successful ministry. While he was there, the attendance jumped from 40 people to 400 people. Spurgeon was then asked by the historic New Park Street Chapel to uh, come and pastor their congregation. And so he accepted based upon a unanimous vote to call him as their pastor. When Spurgeon began his pastorate at New Park Street Chapel, there was 232 parishioners. And within a few short months, the church has now filled up to 2,000 people. So throughout Spurgeon's ministry, he would commonly face the problem of outgrowing the buildings that he was ministering in. So today on the podcast, we'd like to walk through some of these buildings as we discuss the primetime years of Spurgeon's ministry and his transition and journey to the Metropolitan Tabernacle. So today, uh, we just want to start off by talking about the New Park Street Chapel. And in, uh, in 1854, this was Spurgeon's first year as the pastor of this congregation. And as Spurgeon preached, the people were quickly flocking to his church. As Spurgeon's ministry grew in popularity, New Park Street Chapel became dangerously overcrowded. This building seated 1,500 people with standing room for about 500 more people. Uh, cramped and airless conditions were getting on Spurgeon's nerves, but the deacons refused to do anything about this situation. Until one particular Sunday, when Spurgeon finally had enough of this. Spurgeon turned around and faced the wall behind the pulpit and shouted, By faith, the walls of Jericho came down. And by faith, this wall will come down too. The deacons were shocked and they readily agreed to extend the building. Due to a lack of ventilation in the New Park Street Chapel and a lack of seating capacity, the worshipers at New Park Street Chapel were forced to rent a building named Exeter Hall. A renovation to add more seating to the New Park Street immediately followed as Spurgeon moved his people to this building. So as uh, Spurgeon is leading his people, his first major stand at the New Park Street Chapel, the congregation fills up and he moves to 
a rented building called Exeter Hall. Exeter Hall was a building that had far more seating options than the new Park Street Chapel. Exeter Hall seated around 4,000 people, while the new Park Street Chapel could only hold around 2,000 people. As Spurgeon preached, many people were coming to hear him, and among Christians he was growing in popularity. Yet Spurgeon did not go unnoticed in the secular press. At this time, his sermons were published in the Monday edition of the London Times and even in the New York Times. Spurgeon often offended many people, and he was called the Exeter Hall demagogue and the pulpit buffoon. Although Spurgeon's ministry was now being mocked by some in the secular press, the young 21-year-old pastor labored to preach the word. Brother Jimmy, how would you like to be called the Vista Baptist Church demagogue? Um, I don't believe that would be something I would appreciate, but I, I do find the pulpit buffoon to be a almost hilarious insult to to call somebody. So I suppose if someone were to call me one of the two, I'd rather be called the pulpit buffoon. How about you? <laughs> so, uh, I guess I'll go with the uh, Shepherd Baptist Church demagogue since you chose the other option. So okay, Spurgeon's now facing... <laughs> Spurgeon's now facing criticism at uh, Exeter Hall, and uh, the members of the New Park Street Chapel Church have spent five months at Exeter Hall, but they were quickly able to return to the newly renovated New Park Street Chapel. During this renovation that took place, uh, 200 seats were added to the New Park Street Chapel. And although the renovation process was a quick process, the problem did not become resolved. When the church returned to the New Park Street Chapel, these 200 extra seats filled up within weeks of Spurgeon's preaching. This congregation now had the exact same problem that they initially had before they left for Exeter Hall the first time. Although the renovation seemed like a good idea to some at first, it was kind of like throwing a Band-Aid on a broken bone. The problem was not yet fixed. So this church, they remained in this new renovated building and this packed out building for around a year. And they finally decided to solve the problem by building a larger church. So finally, they had the idea to build what would become the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Do you have any thoughts, Brother Jimmy? No, I mean, even though we're talking about buildings here, I mean, what's going on is is the Lord seems to be blessing Charles Spurgeon ministry, which people are flocking to hear him preach. He was preaching to the common man, and that's why his his buildings were were overflowing, each one that he went to. Those, that's one thought that I had. Also, I, I think the whole thing that you were discussing earlier when when Charles Spurgeon turned to the back wall of New Park Street and compared it to the walls of Jericho I I wonder what a modern day deacon it would do if if a pastor were to do that I I I'd find it odd but um I I find it remarkable that they they respected their pastor so much that they ended up building 
or extending that building and, and then eventually begin to build the Metropolitan Tabernacle. So extend the building, they did, and packed it out again, they did. So now we have a second return to Exeter Hall. And uh, while the funds were being raised to build the Metropolitan Tabernacle, Spurgeon was once again forced to move back into this Exeter Hall. This was their second go around at Exeter Hall. But even this building with 4,000 seats within it could not hold all of the people that were coming to hear Spurgeon preach in London. So they transitioned to another venue. In 1856, Spurgeon moved his congregation from Exeter Hall to the biggest indoor venue in London, namely the Surrey Gardens Music Hall. This music hall was immense in size and sat 10,000 people. To put that into perspective, the size of the Surrey Gardens Music Hall uh, was larger than both the New Park Street Chapel and the Exeter Hall's combined seating capacity. So both of those two buildings put together would not have had as much space as what this new building, the Surrey Gardens Music Hall, could uh, hold the people to hear Spurgeon preach. So although Spurgeon now had plenty of space for people to sit during the preaching of the word, this was only a temporary solution. This was a music hall and was not considered a church by the people in London or the people within the church itself. While Spurgeon preached at the music hall, one of the most notable events in his life happened. Brother Jimmy, would you tell us about that? Yeah, some refer to it as the the music hall disaster or the Surrey music hall disaster, and it took place October nineteenth, eighteen fifty six. On this date, the the building was overflowing. It was a well attended service, and during the service, a person that most believe had ill intent yelled fire, and chaos and panic ensued. And a stampede arose and tried to exit the building all at the same time. And amid this stampede, seven people were trampled to death and 28 people were taken to the hospital due to serious injury. Um, Spurgeon, I mean, I can only imagine, was standing up and, and I believe he had actually just finished praying and was about to to preach. He was unaware uh of the fact that people had died or been trampled and he was trying to calm the crowds and, and eventually continue the service. But because of all the excitement, as you can imagine, the service had to be canceled. When Spurgeon got news, uh, he eventually was taken home and was on the verge of a mental breakdown. He, he canceled many speaking engagements that following week as well as missed that following Sunday. His family and him stayed at the home of a deacon, and Tom Nettles writes in his biography that after days of despair, he resolved, based on Philippians 2, that if abuse to him meant glory to Christ, then he, he gladly would endure all that came. The final days in retreat turned into a time of joy and spiritual resolution and solemn dedication of the sons to the service of God. And what most believe is uh, Spurgeon suffered with many of these these bouts with depression. It was a reoccurring theme, and, and most tend to think that this event at Surrey Hall 
is is where all of that began where where his battle with depression and deep dark nights of the soul and various struggles that he would go through began at this event and had a very 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 large impression on on a young Spurgeon's life um right around when when Spurgeon and this isn't related to the disaster this is another place that Spurgeon got the opportunity to speak at in a much more joyous occasion um he spoke at the Crystal Palace in 1861, and he preached to a crowd of 23,654 people, which is just amazing. Uh, I mean, it, it especially for that time period, it's just quite a feat um, to imagine, and, and especially when you have this young and uneducated pastor who was invited to do this. It's a remarkable thing that God was doing in and through Spurgeon at this this national day of fasting and prayer. And with that said, after this disaster, eventually the Metropolitan Tabernacle did get built. So Austin, you want to continue off from there? Yeah, uh, around three years after this disaster, in the summer of 1859, the foundation stone for the Metropolitan Tabernacle was laid. And in March of 1861, the new church building was officially opened. And amazingly, this church opened debt-free. It wasn't a cheap church to build. It cost around 32,000 pounds at the time, which would have been equivalent to around 2,000 pounds today. And to put these numbers in perspective, Using today's exchange rate, it would have cost nearly $40,000 in that age. And in today's age, it would have cost around $2.5 million. Needless to say, this was a remarkable building whereby many would come to hear the Prince of Preachers herald the Word of God. Not only was this an expensive building at the time, but it was a large building, especially compared to uh, both New Park Street Chapel and Exeter Hall, not quite as big as Surrey Gardens, but this sanctuary sat around 6,000 people comfortably while having standing room for around 500 more people. This building would be filled both in the morning and in the evening as Spurgeon would herald the word of God. Uh, If you wanted a ticket or if you wanted a seat, excuse me, you would have to secure your place with a ticket of admission. The admission was free, but you are required to obtain this ticket before you could come to hear Spurgeon preach in order to reserve a spot. Keep in mind that uh, during Spurgeon's early ministry at New Park Street Chapel, there was 232 original parishioners, and now the Metropolitan Tabernacle is an enormous church in the heart of London. During his ministry, Uh, 14,692 members were added to this church, and 11,000 members were added by baptism. At his death, 5,328 members were on the rolls, and 127 lay ministers were serving in London. I'm going to run it back real quick just to give a quick run-through of where we've come from and where we've been. He started at Water Beach, eventually was asked to come and pastor New Park Street Chapel and packed out the, that congregation, was asked to move to Exeter Hall, 
They moved to Exeter Hall while renovation was happening at New Park Street. They moved back to New Park Street and packed out the building a second time, moved back to Exeter Hall a second time, packed out that building. Then they moved to Surrey Gardens. We had the incident of the disaster. We had the amazing event that Spurgeon got to preach at the Crystal Palace. And then finally, in 1861, the Metropolitan Tabernacle was opened and Spurgeon's church was now having a place to worship the Lord freely in spirit and in truth. Yeah, I mean, it it is a remarkable, I mean, just what God did in Spurgeon's life throughout this period. As another historical note, I'm, I'm sure it's been mentioned before, but I know I haven't said it yet in this podcast, but Spurgeon coming to New Park Street, he wasn't their first great pastor or preacher. I mean, the congregation at New Park Street was pastored by uh, a man who has been featured, not featured, but discussed in at least two episodes on the Covenant podcast, and that's Benjamin Keach. And it also was pastored after Benjamin Keach. I believe there was at least one person in between Keach and this man, but John Gill also pastored the church that would become New Park Street and eventually the Metropolitan Tabernacle. But to conclude our podcast, uh, there are a couple of things that we can take home or or apply from this journey to the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And, and the first one is devote yourself to the ordinary means of grace. Um, Charles Spurgeon oftentimes is accused during that time period by both the secular media and some of the clergy as being a ordinary and vulgar man. He, um, he, he was not all flash, I should say, but he devoted himself to the preaching of the Word of God, to the, the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And he, he was devoted in those things, and it was through that that God blessed his people and blessed his ministry, and the, and the church grew exponentially during his time there. Another related application, especially for pastors and preachers, is to preach simple, doctrinal, and biblical sermons. Uh, Charles Spurgeon's sermons were simple. I mean, yes, when we read it, the the Victorian English that he was he was writing in and and preaching in it sounds somewhat elegant or elegant, but in his day it, it was simple speech. It, he was using the tongue of the common folk. Um, also doctrinal. His his sermons were were robust with doctrine, and he did that on purpose. He wanted to teach his people the doctrines of the Bible, and he had a system of thought that that kind of worked as guardrails for his sermon and his preparation of sermons. And then lastly, biblical. He was preaching from the Bible, and, and, and he made it his effort to preach Christ from every single scripture. The third point of application is that we need to remember that with faithfulness often comes suffering. Spurgeon was faithful in his ministry. He was faithful at preaching the word. He was faithful at ministering to people's souls. He was faithful at depend or defending the truth, and and often and and was was scrutinized heavily by the public. He he 
went through the 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 Surrey Hall disaster and and suffered immensely from that and and had what appears to be some residual mental illness and difficulty that came as a result of that event and and had to depend heavily upon God to continue in ministry and to continue faithful. He had other bouts with with things like gout and illnesses like that, but we we need to remember that when we are faithful, life will not always be easy, and in fact, it will be oftentimes difficult, and suffering comes not only from from people persecuting him or, or, or scrutinizing him and criticizing him, but also his own body seemed to be at war with him. And then fourthly, understand that God works through imperfect pastors and churches to accomplish his mission. I'm sure if we were to interview Charles Spurgeon today, he would by no means say that he was perfect. Um, and, and as his bouts with, with depression and, and, and struggling with sorrow and, and, and maybe even some form of PTSD, I'm not going to anachronistically diagnose him with things, but he definitely struggled deeply. God still used him mightily. He used him in the lives of the people that were there. He used him to, to further his kingdom, to, to the ends of the earth, and that Charles Spurgeon trained and equipped pastors and sent them out, as well as sent out missionaries. He he also started an orphanage, and and his wife would would start a a fund for pastors to get them books and clothing. But from Spurgeon's story, from this journey, we learn that God works through imperfect people to accomplish His perfect mission. Austin, do you have anything to add? I do not. Brother Jimmy, thank you for those applications. There we have it. Charles Spurgeon, The Journey to the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. If you've enjoyed this resource or you simply like the Covenant Podcast, head on over to our iTunes page, subscribe, and leave us a review. We are also available via Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, YouTube, and Podbean. Thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you.